So like Matt said, my, my name is Levi, and I've been serving and working as a pastoral resident here at Seven Mile. And this morning, uh, before we get into the next sermon series, Matt and I thought that it would make sense uh, to close the loop on some of the work that I've been doing in this residency, uh, specifically about the Life Explored course that just finished up a few weeks ago. So if you've been around the past few months, you've probably seen me up at the front talking about Life Explored, probably heard me talking about it, so we're just going to spend the next few minutes updating you on how that went, and then we'll get into the text that you just heard. So at Seven Mile Road, we are committed and serious about loving and leading Bostonians to the real Jesus. We've been determined to say that whatever we do as a church and as a family, as we're engaging our community, we want to involve these four missional distinctives. Creativity, hospitality, boldness, and the long game. So with those four missional essentials in mind, and with the 30 hours a week that I have to give to the church to grow and to train and to do pastoral ministry and to learn and to live on mission, we decided to spend some of that time and give Life Explored a shot. So starting in March and for the next seven weeks, I led Life Explored, which was a video and Bible study uh, discussion course, and its goal was to answer this specific question. What's the best gift that God could give you? And by asking that question and many other questions, this course was helping us to realize that whatever we desire most in life, it determines our dispositions, it determines the decisions that we make, and it ultimately determines our destinies. So over those seven sessions, Life Explored was uncovering for us what we were really living for and how in Christ, God meets our deepest desires and gives us lasting joy. So in other words, the best gift that God could ever give you is himself. The reason we were so excited about this course and the materials and everything about it was because that we saw that it fit exactly what we were trying to do with these four distinctives and these four essentials. It was creative in that we hadn't done something like this before. It was uh, outside of the normal meeting rhythms that we have on Sundays and throughout the rest of the week. So it was a unique and creative way for us to engage in the community. Uh, on each night, as we went through the Bible study and discussions, the people in the course were wa uh, welcomed warmly, I hope. Uh, friendships were made, questions were answered, uh, and followed up with. Phone calls were had, emails were exchanged, and... Uh, we had a lot of delicious, and you guys have to try these, these like sea salt, dark chocolate caramel bites from Whole Foods. Amazing things. So if that's not hospitality, I don't know what is. We were also committed to the long game in this course. We met for seven straight weeks, um, eight actually after we factored in an additional week together. So this was not just a one-off thing. But all of us in the room were committed to getting to know one another and developing real friendships so that we would feel comfortable asking and engaging in these difficult questions. And finally, we were bold in our proclamation of the gospel. From the first night until the last, all of the video questions and all of the discussions and handbooks and, and everything that we were getting at was driving us back to 
the gospel. And it is driving us back to the real Jesus. And so it's that gospel message that we want to preach to you this morning. So I hope you know just a little bit more about why we did Life Explored and why we think that it went super, super well. In the last session of Life Explored, we ended with a discussion on Jesus' parable of the wedding feast. And in that parable, which you just heard, it contains a clear picture of the gospel. As one pastor noted, this parable contains the sum and the substance of the gospel itself. So it's the full thing. And for that reason, it made sense for Life Explored to end that way. And so we wanted to make that same gospel appeal from this text to you this morning. So that's where we're going to spend the rest of our time. It's my hope that through this parable, as we look at it, that you will see the holiness and the righteousness of God that you would also see his incredible and undeserved love for you. All right, so let's pray, and then we'll get into the text. Heavenly Father, King of the universe, we're humbled that you would invite us into relationship with you, that you would invite us into the beautiful reality of your gospel love for us. It's so undeserved. And so, Father, I pray that you would use this text this morning, that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts to believe and come alive to the gospel message today. Spirit, would you do that work in our hearts this morning? Speak to us through your words. Minister minister to us through your words, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so you've heard the story read aloud. We're going to jump back into the story and break it down a little bit more, and we'll have the words up on the screen for you. So like Matt said, we're looking at one of the parables of Jesus. This one's from Matthew chapter 22. And throughout Jesus' ministry, he spoke in these parables, which are various stories and different pictures, to help, to help us understand more about him and who he is and what his kingdom is like. So in this parable of the wedding feast specifically, Jesus is showing us what an incredible gift the gospel is, how patient and loving God is towards us through the gospel, and it tells us how we need to respond to him. All right, so let's look at this together in verse 1. It says, And Jesus again spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king, who gave a wedding feast for his son. So Jesus is setting the scene for our story. The king is throwing a wedding feast for his son who's about to get married. All right, does anybody here follow the royal family stuff that's going on? Is anybody here into that? So Prince Harry and his wife Meghan just gave birth to a son. So that's like pretty big news. They got married last year. It's this whole big thing. So who here, anybody's getting excited about that? A few people. Okay, so you guys are already jazzed up. You're excited about this whole royal wedding feast thing. If you're anything like me, and maybe a little more level-headed with that kind of stuff, maybe you need some more help to get this uh, figured out, to get here with me. So let's just spend a little more time getting that uh, figured out here. Sorry, I had to. So Prince Harry, he's the sixth in line, I think, and he just had his son who's the seventh in line. Um, I think that's how it works. I did actually Google that for prep this morning. So I think I'm right on that. 
So there's a lot of other people, though, that are still like in the line of succession before he becomes king. So, you know, was it really that exciting that he had a son? I don't know. But what I do know is that this isn't what's going on in this story. This isn't just some random son, but this was the king's firstborn son. This was the king's crown prince, the heir to the throne itself. He's the one that's getting married. And the whole kingdom is going to be going crazy for it. So this is more like the Red Sox World Series Parade and the Patriots Super Bowl after party. And if Boston is so lucky, if we get the trifecta this season and the Bruins pull out a Stanley Cup victory, sorry Celtics, but if we get that trifecta, how crazy is the city of Boston going to be? That's what's going on right here in our story. Everybody is excited for what's going on in the kingdom. The whole realm is going to be partying. And so wherever you're at in the realm, whether you're at home with your family, watching it on the news, or you're going to go to a bar somewhere and watch it with friends, or maybe you're even planning a trip to go tailgating down at the, at the castle, and you're just trying to get a glimpse of the king and his son, you want to be there. You're so pumped up and jazzed up and stoked for this wedding feast. Okay, so that's you. What's the best thing that could happen to you in that moment? Not only are you going to be celebrating the feast already, but then you come home and in the mail is a letter with your name on it written by the king himself inviting you to the wedding feast. And that's exactly what we see here in the next verse. And unbelievable that the king himself sent his servants, you can go to the next slide, he sent his servants out to invite those people to the wedding feast. How crazy is that? Like that is a drop everything and go kind of moment if I've ever heard one. That's, I'm sorry grandma, I can't pick you up from the airport anymore today. I have to go to this wedding feast kind of drop everything kind of moment. You just got invited to a once in a lifetime opportunity. What an unbelievable honor. But then we don't even make it to the end of the verse without seeing this horrific thing happen. And we read, but they would not come. It's not that they could not come. It's not they couldn't get off work, but they tried. It's not that they checked the box on the RSVP that says regretfully decline. But they would not come. And this wasn't just an RSVP to a a friend's dinner party, but it was a royal summons from the king himself. These were the king's people, his subjects. Yet he gave them the honor of attending the royal wedding. And they wouldn't come. They were bid to come, no exceptions, and yet we read that they were unwilling, that they would not come. What a slap in the face to the king. It was, this was nothing less than outright rebellion to the king's commands for his people to ignore his summons like that. So what was the king going to do? What did the king do? We see next in the next verse. It's unbelievable the next twist in the story, that he would send other servants. When we read that, we need to be shocked at the king's generosity and his patience and understanding with such an ungrateful people. He invited them again, even pleaded with them 
In verse 4, he says, See, look, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fat calves have been slaughtered. Everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. Please, come. This wedding feast is for you. Surely his people would have realized at that moment, they would have realized their mistakes and woken up and and realized what was going on and decided to go. But we read again in verse 5. They paid no attention. They made light of the invitation. They just did not care. They were more concerned about their home life and their work and their farms and their businesses. They were preoccupied. They responded to the invitation with complete indifference. But then we read again and we see that even more than that, others responded much more negatively. Others responded with hostility to the point of murdering the king's servants. They hated the king and his invitation so much that they mistreated and murdered his messengers. And so it's no surprise for us to read in verse 7 that the king was angry. Twice now, his people have ignored his clear commands and downright rejected. They were unworthy and ungrateful people, so the king exacted his judgment on those people who rebelled against him. And the story could end there. The story could end with a justified king holding the feast for his son with just his servants around him and a few empty seats in the banquet hall. That could be the end of the story. But Jesus continues his parable. And it says, Then he, sent, he said to his servants, The feast is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. The king had prepared a wedding feast for his son, and every seat at that feast was going to be filled. He says in verse 10, And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. The will of the king was going to be accomplished. The king's son was going to be honored that day. The wedding hall was going to be full to capacity. Those whom he initially invited were not worthy, but other guests would be invited in their place. And what kind of guests? What kind of guests were invited? It was those on the main roads. It was anybody, anyone on Main Street who would hear the call and accept the invitation, homeless or business owner alike. The king's command was to invite as many as you find. Everyone, all were invited. The original guest list was gone. Any who would come and take their place were welcome to attend. The text says their servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. And it's in this detail 
that we read what the kingdom of God is like. It's a kingdom for everyone. Do you see that? Rich, poor, male, female, bad, good. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter your race or sex or status or wealth. If you have lived a good life based on human standards or if you're on death's row, anyone who heard the message was invited to attend. All were welcome. And those people filled the wedding hall. The king honored his son with guests that day. Those original guests, they responded to the invitation with indifference. They responded with hostility. But these guests responded with joy. They dropped everything. They punched in the new coordinates on their GPS. They were heading to that wedding feast no matter what. And they filled the wedding hall. Okay. So now the story ends with a fairy tale happy ending, right? And so the wedding hall was filled with guests. The end. Jesus tells us one last twist in our story. We read in verse 11 and onward that there's this one guy, this one guy who isn't wearing the right clothes and he gets kicked out of the wedding. And why would this guy get thrown out for not having the proper clothes? It seems harsh, especially considering we just read a few verses earlier that these guys were literally coming right off the streets. Some of them were weary travelers just getting into town. Some of them were just uh, getting back from a long uh, graduation ceremony yesterday that went too long in a uh, really hot and sweaty room. Some of them were sweaty, dirty, just getting off work, homeless even. These people were coming off the streets. And these were the people attending the wedding. So certainly it would be understandable if not all of them were able to catch a shower and dress up to the nines before they attended the wedding feast. But from what we understand from the context and cultural understanding of royal weddings at the time, the king himself, that king, would have provided the wedding garments for those who needed them. And in fact, in this case, all in attendance would have received the proper attire to wear as they entered into the castle doors. You just simply cannot attend the feast without the right clothes on. For those of you who would have accepted that invitation to Prince Harry and Meghan's wedding, you wouldn't dream of showing up in just your favorite lounge shirt and a pair of sweatpants. Of course not. And if that's the case, how much more so at this wedding, the wedding to end all weddings, the wedding of the king's firstborn son. But the king knew that his guests were arriving off the streets He knew that and he provided the proper clothes for them so that the son would be honored, that all of his guests would be clothed appropriately. This was not and it simply could not just become another casual affair. So the king made sure that all were provided for. All the guests, both bad and good, as they arrived at the castle door coat check, would have received their dinner attire from the servant and changed before proceeding to their seats. So, what does the king then see as he walks through the banquet hall? 
but he sees someone without the wedding garments. Everyone in attendance was dressed through the king's provision, yet he sees this one man sticking out. So what does he say? He asks him, Friend, how did you get in here without the wedding garment? And what was the man's response? Did you catch it? He say, oh, oh, king, I'm, I'm so sorry, your majesty. I, I, I was running late. I didn't have time to change. And you know, even as I was arriving, I was you know, making my way through the castle doors. And yes, I, I did see your servant there. He was standing with the free garments. And you know, I, I, just, I was in a hurry, so I wanted to get past him. Sure, you know, I wanted to make sure I got a good seat after all. And so I just kind of snuck past him. Uh, please, your majesty, please, please forgive me. No, that's not what he said. So maybe he said something along these lines. Hey, what's the big deal? King, why are you being so uptight? Are you really that uppity with the dress code? Like, yeah, I was in a hurry, but I mean, look at what, what I have on. It's not really that bad. There's all kinds of other things I could be wearing. Are you really going to be that strict, that uptight? What did he say? Nothing. He was speechless. This is the universal teaching of the Bible about the human response to God during that last and final day of judgment where you and I will both be attending and where we will give an account for all of our sins. And that day, every mouth will be stopped as the king of the universe, the all-knowing, completely holy, without sin, holds us all to account for all of our weakness, all of our sin, all our presumption, all our thoughts, every action, every intention of our heart that was in rejection and rebellion to him. All of it is going to be laid bare. And on that day, if we have any sense at all, We'll be keeping our mouths shut because we'll have nothing to say. This man, in our story, thought he was all set. He thought he could be in the presence of the king without having been made right with the king. He was given the king's wedding garment, but he thought he was, his own garments were already good enough. He responded to the king's invitation with presumption and his presumptuousness got him kicked out of the feast okay we've just heard four different responses to the gospel invitation and you've heard the sum and substance of that invitation to the gospel itself that the kingdom of heaven is here repent And believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. The king has invited you to the wedding feast of his son Jesus. How will you respond to his invitation this morning? Please make no mistake, before you leave these doors, you will need to make that decision. You will need to respond in one of these ways. So how will you respond? Are you indifferent? 
do you see other things as more valuable than being at the son's wedding feast? Is there somewhere or anywhere else that you'd rather be than here this morning? Were you dragged along by a parent or a spouse? Maybe you don't really even mind being here, but you already have your values and your spirituality from books and other things that you've uh, engaged with over your life, and you're all set. You don't need this church thing. And you've heard it all before. For many of you, this isn't the first time that you've been invited to the king's wedding feast. In fact, this isn't even the second time. But God has been so gracious and long-suffering with you to have invited you again and again, even hundreds of times. Will you still be indifferent today? Will you still walk out of this room and kick the can down the road and immediately preoccupy yourself with the game, with food, with work the next day, and any of the other fleeting and worthless and futile things in life? You can do that. You can, you can leave the invitation letter unopened on your kitchen table. You can let it collect dust for days and months and years. But it will always still be there. The king wrote your name on it, so please do not be indifferent to the gospel. Do not be indifferent to the invitation. Or, are you hostile? Are you turned off and perhaps even angry with me for how I just spoke with you? Are you put off by these words and ready just to get out of here? Perhaps some of you are. And I pray that that's not you. I pray that right now the Spirit of God will be working to remove the calluses in your heart. That Jesus' words would not be hardening your heart in your willful disobedience to Christ. But that they would be softening your hearts to the beauty of God and of his gospel. I pray that in fact God's Spirit would be working in you right now to remove that heart of stone and giving you a heart of flesh. A new heart that beats and pumps new blood in your veins that have affections for Christ. Are you hostile? Perhaps you're neither of these two. Perhaps you're here because you want to be. You enjoy the service. You enjoy the people and the community. You get a lot out of the sermons. You like learning more about your Bibles. And you appreciate the opportunities that you have for your kids. So I'm asking you now, Are you being presumptuous? Are you presumptuous? Have you come this morning but have not yet thrown off your old garments? Do you feel you're already acceptable to God without needing the wedding clothes that He provides? Are you all set? Are you still living in sin, refusing to surrender your whole life to Christ, unwilling to shed those dirty and polluted garments because you've deceived yourself with a lie that you can have both? Do you love your sin so much you refuse to cast it aside for the sake of Christ? Is that you this morning? Or... Are you all in? Are you all in on the gospel? Has the Spirit of God so gripped your conscience and tore down every stronghold that you've built up for yourself 
that you say, I have to be at this wedding. Is this a drop everything moment for you? Are you accepting this invitation with joy? Are you running and sprinting to grab hold of these wedding clothes and to take your seat at the wedding feast? And if you've done that, or if you're doing that now, then these clothes are for you and take them. This feast is for you, so take your seat. If that is you, praise God. And so do it. Go all in. Don't keep wearing those old, dirty, filthy rags. They smell terrible. They're gross. Don't keep living in sin. You have a new life in Christ. Don't live with all that guilt and shame. You have forgiveness and salvation in Him. Don't continue living in the dump off the street. You have a seat at the king's table. Throw off those old garments. Be clothed in the garments of His salvation and His righteousness. Accept that invitation with joy. Take your seat at the table. Repent and believe the kingdom of heaven is here. That's the kind of church that we are trying to build here at Seven Mile. Are you in on the gospel? If so, come join us. Let's pray. God, you are so gracious to us, sinners. How many times have we rejected you? How many times have we been indifferent to your love and your grace towards us and preoccupied ourselves with other things that ultimately don't matter? Heavenly Father, I pray, would you awaken us to the beauty and the majesty of your gospel? Would you bring us into your kingdom? Would we be joyful attendants at the wedding of the Lamb, your Son Jesus, and his bride, the church? Would that be us? Would that be our church marked by a love for you and for others? We pray that you would do that work in us today. Amen.